Thank you, Bill, very much. It was wonderful. I'm going to press along here with, again without uh, breaking the uh, uh, pace of uh, uh, our panel discussion, and we have an AA speaker, uh, Raleigh, and uh, he. I'm going to leave his uh, 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 qualification uh, uh, to him. I give you Raleigh. I'm up to you in the My name is Vinter, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I like to say that because it reminds me of something that I'm a hell of a lot better man as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous than I was as an alcoholic. And incidentally, I just blew the instructions here. I used a cuss word. Forgive me. Also, I can say another thing, too. As a layman, uh, I don't have to stick with the word psychiatrist, because some of the people out there may be more familiar with another term, shrink. So I'll apologize to the doctor. But the thing of it is that in better than 20 years of dealing with uh, drunks in the Air Force, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, today is the third psychiatrist that I have run into that knows where it's at. Doctor, I hope you appreciate that applause because that represents another. Quite a few hundred drunks who probably could say the same statement. Now, I'm not going to put the dot and the knock on them, but let them know that things here, that's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> I have got to say right here that David goes, that reminded me of a, a new joke. You know, the first, the first drunk uh, in the world was a sailor, a guy named Columbus. When he left, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he'd been. When he got back, he, he didn't know where he'd gone. And the game financed the whole deal. <laughs> I personally like that because... He said, I, I state my own qualifications. I don't have to. You know them. But I tell you what kind of outstanding citizen I am. My wife is a civil service worker who will retire in February after some 20-odd years of service for a simple reason, that she went to work in order to feed the kids because I had other uses for my pay. So... That's, that's one of the qualifications that it takes to get into BAA, be an outstanding citizen, whatever that is. <laughs> I, I don't know. Also, going to steal something, too, from a guy that some of you may have heard of. Father Fowl. He said that he hated to go to a meeting when the speaker reaches in his breast pocket and pulls out a whole lot of paper and... <laughs> 
sit down on the desk. He said, why did you have to do this? You know what he's talking about? He doesn't need any papers. So, let me get my paper out. Actually, I just jotted down some notes because for nearly 20 years, well, there's no use for me in identifying myself as an alcoholic. I am. <laughs> you know what that is. I drank 25 years. And there's one thing that is still surprising me when I think of it, and that is that I didn't, I honestly, the best of my ability, honestly, didn't know that I was an alcoholic or they had an alcoholic problem. That, that still continues to amaze me. How a guy could have done the things I could and not know that something was wrong beats me. But uh, certainly it wasn't alcohol. You, you know that, though. The boss, the police, you know, they all attacked me and my supervisor and all other people. But the one thing I have noticed is a sort of a fringe benefit that the highway patrol doesn't follow me around anymore, and I haven't been arrested once for drunk driving since I stopped drinking. So, so that, that, te- that tells me something. <laughs> Major King said uh, this was open for disagreement. I don't want y'all laughing, but I know that ain't here to disagree with I'm sure. But, um, but, <laughs> one of the notes I wrote to myself, because this covers quite a few years of incidents that I encountered, and these are personal, they belong to me. I was a drunk because I drank. And now I don't drink. You know, that's pretty simple. That's what Dr. Bob said, keep it simple. You know, I understand that. I, um, I get to something else later. But I would like to tell you the reason why I didn't uh, go into a big qualifications paragraph for you. Because my feelings about drunkalog is contained in the, in the preamble. I, I, I feel, this is my opinion. And that is, our primary purpose is to stay sober. And the second part, of course, and the most important part, is to help others. That's the gimmick. You knock off the booze, and so what? What do you do now? Well, there you run into the gravy of this program, and that is, by helping others, uh, you help, we help ourselves, which is the most valuable thing I've learned. As I see it, when I'm talking to any person who has asked for help, he already knows how to get drunk. So what I try to do is share my recovery experience with him. So I won't bore you with my drinking experience, except to tell you that the best best drunk of my life was my last one. Not that it was, not it was anything choice. Hell, it was no different than the other. It just lasted longer, but it was the last one. That's the reason why it's good. When my wife came to the psychiatric ward to see me, because back in those days, that's where, that's where drunks wound up. <laughs> guy comes in, knocked out of his gourd, a medic looks at him, he doesn't know what the hell's wrong with him, so they send him over to the, the 
psychiatrist. So I really lost track of how many times I made that joint. But when uh, my wife came to see me that on that last drunk, and this time she proved me. She usually came in the first day I was there, bought me a carton of cigarettes and a certain amount of sympathy. <laughs> And I really know I'm stretching it there. <laughs> she, the first thing that she did, though, she asked me if I wanted to see someone from AA in my room. It was just like a radar echo. was, yes. Because at that time, I'd have been willing to talk to anybody. The devil, the preacher, anybody. And that was 22 years ago. Thank God. I fully believe I was one of those fortunate people who really qualified for membership, for I was ready to do anything to get off the jug. <clears throat> and I really, to quote from the book, was willing to go to any length. And I used to have a sort of an obscene way to describe what length I meant by it. And I won't, I won't repeat that here. I think some of you might guess it. The important thing is that I asked for help, and a man came to see me. So right there, even though I didn't know it, I was confronted with the 12th step at once. A guy came to see me, and it's that simple to me. So I don't have to elaborate on that bit. And this is what still happens today. If somebody asks for help, somebody comes to see him. He was carrying a message for me, simply because I asked him. I didn't have to beg him or pay him or anything. I asked for help and I got it. And that's that's one thing that's it's, it's really part of me. It's something I, I, I will never forget. And it's also the one thing that makes the I am responsible principle so important to me. Because... That applies to me. I also noticed in that um, responsible package of cards, you know, a phrase that was very interesting to me. It says, when anybody reaches out for help. Now, I've been told too many times in, in the past by certain people uh, who reached down to help the drunk. I didn't know it then, but uh, this hurt. What the hell made that guy superior to me in the first place? So it made me so mad I had to go drink some more. But when you reach out to help somebody, you're reaching out to an equal. And I'll tell you something that I found uh, early in the game, because I had spent 25 years doing nothing but drinking. I hadn't read a thing. I didn't even bother to read labels on whiskey bottles. I had to just figured it was a whiskey was in it because it looked like whiskey, so you tasted it, and then if it didn't kill you, okay, you'd drink it. So that's about all I ever read. So when I got off the jug, then I had a lot of reading to do, and there was a few things I had to find out. For instance, in the preamble it says AA is a fellowship. That word caught my attention because... I'm retired from the Air Force, by the grace of God, only. (laughs) (laughs) 
I suppose some of you understand my feelings, but of the entire 22 and a half years I spent in the service, I was resentful. That is, if anybody would, would, out, would outrank me, and that was quite a few. <laughs> the psychiatrists and psychologists and uh, counselors and people like that who talk in big long words and who diagnose all these things and could probably do a great deal of that. We're, we're that, you know, but uh, I don't have time for it. <clears throat> I just, I was just mad. That's it's the only polite way I can say it here. See, I'm restricted. I'm used to talking military. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty hard to talk um, American. <laughs> but if there is any military drunks in here, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Now, 
drunks, but I'll use the word that doctors use to describe them, come in from all over Europe for treatment. And they, too, I observed for years, were getting missed at preliminary medical examination or sick hall or whatever. You know, for instance, the captain said, Dr. Uh, officers uh, didn't uh, you know, they didn't have drinking problems. Of course they didn't. Because the doctor, I mean, uh, an officer always got diagnosed as having a gastroenteritis. <laughs> I don't know how I happen to remember that. <laughs> but I got another word for it because <laughs> I had it. <laughs> So these, these guaranteed five steps that I, I mean five twelve-step calls that I have each two weeks is actually and truthfully uh, a large part of my life. I think I could have died five years ago without any trouble at all, just sitting down and thinking, what the hell with it? I'm getting old and just going ahead and died. But to each two weeks, the system that we use at the ARC in Wiesbaden. <coughs> is that each two weeks five guys come in, which gives five, you might say, upperclassmen, seniors, or whatever. <coughs> and from the observations that I've made of what goes on there, it, it, it really makes life worth living. Because in, in two weeks, those guys learn so much that on Wednesdays, when the new five come in, I, I always try to make it a point to be there to see them come in because I like to get acquainted with them as quick as possible. And also, I like to check them out. I like to see that look on their faces to remind me of what I look like. That anxiety, the apprehension, and the nervousness. But the big thing that really makes me glow inside just like a neon light is to see how the upper class reacts to these new men when they come in. But believe this or not, on Monday night they have a meeting. There are only a meeting there in the center. The next day the upper class goes. Then the, the ones who are now upper classmen, they, you can visit, they see them sort of slump. Big brother's gone. But the next day when the new ones come in, you... You can't believe the way those guys brighten up. And the way they accept their responsibilities towards those new people is just the best part of my life. Let's share some other impressions that I have had in my computer bank. First, I've learned that an informed member is a better member. And it's sort of not a thing about that as far as I'm concerned. We've got lots of A.E. literature, but <laughs> I'm beginning to believe that in A.E. we don't have very many readers. I'm, I'm confronted with this just too much. For instance, I was making some inquiries around here the other day, and I asked somebody, I said, has Dr. Norris gotten there yet? Somebody said, who's Dr. Norris? <laughs> But in that, uh, that book, that pamphlet we have, the yellow book, it, it is titled A.A. Group. You ever hear that? It says on the second page that an informed member is a better member. 
and, and it's, I've noticed that it's true. This is one reason why we encounter some difficulties here and there. A social action officer or a CDAC officer or somebody else might ask somebody about AA and they, and they don't have the answer. But rather than go ahead and confess that they don't know it, they're given an answer. And it's usually not a good answer, and that gives the CDAC or social action people around and say, well, this is all they know about AA is the guy that they're talking to. And they just decide, you mean that's AA? Well, to hell, if they waste the time or something like that. And actually, I don't blame them. It, it came to me somewhere along in my recovery that our primary purpose is to stay sober and try to help others to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And I gave much thought to the question, what message? Because there's many a message that's contained in the big book and all of our literature, too. But what message are we supposed to carry to the alcoholic who still suffers? Boils down to three words, I think. There is a way. Four words, I can't even count. There is a way. There's a way out. Working with others, the title of chapter 7 of our big book is the key phrase for me. Working with others. The simplicity of the application is the key phrase for me. And it's, and it's amazed me. For instance, if I'm thinking of others, I have no time left to spend on my own ailments. Now, this is true for me. Because I've medically, I have so many things wrong with me, I should have been dead ten years ago. But by not being able to have time to sit around and worry about how, how sick I am, I'm, I'm standing here, thank God. Okay, thank you. There's a whole lot of other things I have written down there, but you uh, either heard them or you're going to hear them if you keep your ears, ears open. Because I have something much more important, uh, I think. No doubt you've seen the pamphlet, AA and the Armed Forces, and they've read the stories in there. And one of the questions or one of the statements in there is, Hello? Now I got away from the night. This panel, AA and the Armed, the Armed Services, has a lot of stuff in there. I bet some people never even knew they had this pamphlet. So to save a lot of time, I'm going to ask a friend of mine to get up here and use this last ten minutes of what I have. But, would you step up here, please?
I don't have time for a drunk log. Just let me say that I started my drinking career very early, uh, somewhere around 13. I probably, I think I had my first blackout when I was 16. I didn't know it was a blackout because, as far as I was concerned, that's the way everybody drank. It happened to me all the time, so I never really recognized it as a problem. I drank for my whole military career, and for about the last, let's see, about six years ago, I decided that you're really in trouble with alcohol. Somewhere in the back of my mind, this, this decision was made, because I really consciously didn't face up to it. I just knew that something was wrong with me, and that was a big problem right there, because, as you've heard already, uh, once upon a time, we didn't have alcoholics in the armed forces. Because we threw them out, or they retired if they were capable, as the captain pointed out. Uh, a third thing he didn't point out was that we also ignored them. And this is especially true in the officer corps, because there were no alcoholic officers in the United States Air Force when I came in. There were a hell of a lot of drunks, but there weren't any alcoholics. And it was part of the thing, you know, it was part of the, part of the social mystique, you know, you, you had to go and drink. And boy, that fit in just right with my kind of thinking. Well, I got in, I was somewhere on a tightrope between deep trouble and, uh, well, I can't, I won't be profane, right? A, a lot of trouble and a lot of trouble, let's put it that way. And I finally fell off, and I was confronted with the decision of either you're going to do something. And it wasn't too easy a decision, you know. I mean, I was... I don't, I don't know how many alcoholics wake up one bright, sunshiny morning and say, God, I think I'm going to do something about my drinking today. But that wasn't me. I was really down, boy. I want to tell you that my decision was, do you want to complete your career in the Air Force, or do you want to get out, you know, and... Uh, this is the kind of seduction that uh, the captain's talking about, you know. This is the offer that you get when you get into trouble with alcohol today in the United States Air Force. Uh, through social actions or through your commander's intervention, you know, the guy will confront you if he's aware. Now, that, that's a key thing. If he's aware, and I have a real thankfulness in my heart that I had a commander who said, this guy is really in trouble. Because the kind of things I did, you know, they were crazy. They weren't, they weren't right. The guy said, well, he's not just in trouble from alcohol. He, he's got something wrong with him, so we've got to do something with him. Right? So I wasn't ignored. Thank God, I wasn't ignored. And I wasn't just summarily thrown out for being in trouble. Again, thank God. But I went to this alcohol rehabilitation center. And when I went, and when I described the circumstances, I didn't exactly volunteer, right? So I was, A, number one, resentful. But number two, I was also thankful. And that's a, a funny thing for me to try and hook onto or to explain to other people. I really wanted help. I didn't know how, and I wasn't about to ask. I was my own boss. I knew that I could control my own destiny. <laughs> Terrific. I controlled it so well, look where I ended up, right? <laughs> but when I was confronted with the decision that I had to make, hey, listen, fella, either you're dead or you're going to do something about your drinking, 
or you're out of the Air Force, or you're going to do something about it. Well, I said, all right, well, all right. If you put it that way, I'll do something. In this rehabilitation center was a 24-hour-a-day involvement in alcohol. Okay? And I went, and I, as I said, was resentful. The only, the only thing that helped me through the first week that, I, that was there were the other guys who were in a similar position that I was in. Because, again, most of them had not volunteered. When, and I, as I said, was resentful. The only, the only thing that helped me through the first week that, I, that was there were the other guys who were in a similar position that I was in. Because, again, most of them had not volunteered. Okay? After about a week, you know, with these professionals telling you this is what you're doing and counseling procedures where we sat around and, and really reacted with each other, I think that's the best, the best definition I can give. We exposed ourselves to each other, and for me, that was a brand new, unique experience. I had never done it. I don't think I fully did it, but I know I fully didn't do it in the first week, because in that first week, I did not know who I was. Today, I know better who I am. But in that first week, I did not know, and I think maybe some of you can relate to that. When you stop drinking, there's a lot of crap that's still up there that doesn't go away just because you put the plug in the jug that one day. But I found understanding, which I, and I didn't think existed. I was fully prepared that the day that I graduated from this great center, or that's what we called it when we were in there, now I'll just say that I finished my 28 days, I was fully, I said, well, I don't have any job anymore, I'm sure of that, because they'll find some rinky-dink thing for me to do and ha keep me around for a while and then find a reason to get rid of me. I, you know, I really thought that way. Because I didn't know. I wasn't aware of what kind of programs the Air Force had. I wasn't aware that they were really concerned about their people. And I think maybe what I'm saying burns some of the harshness of, of the way Major King put it. And I think it did come across a little harsh. You know, this is the Air Force position. That's right, it is the Air Force position. But by God, there are real people in the Air Force. And they do treat us alcoholics like people. What they don't know is how the hell to handle us. That's, that's a fact. In my period at the center, I dealt with myself. I became somewhat honest with myself, as honest as I could be at the time, which wasn't too terribly honest, but at least it was a step. I was willing to do something about my problem, and I kept an open mind as much as my mind could be opened. You know, with all the crap that I had been storing up through all the years that I had been drinking, all the lying that I did, all the uh, everything, all the crooked thinking, there was a lot of refuse in there that uh, needed some sweeping out, okay? But I found something really beautiful there, and that was that if I dealt with other people and told them how I felt, what my problems with alcohol were, with anything were, they got a lot easier. I also found that the day that I say I'm an alcoholic and understand that and then eat it and own it and accept it, I felt a lot better. And I said, holy Christ, this isn't bad. You know, if I, can, if I can do that and feel that good, how can I keep on doing it? Well, one of the things that I was exposed to at the ARC was AA. 
Because if they're Wiesbaden ARC, it's a, it's a, well, I guess you are three prongs is what they do. They, they run the professional, professionals on you. Uh, they uh, have therapy sessions with, uh, well, what I, what I mean by professionals, I'm talking now about medical and psychiatric or psychological or what, brain guys, uh, shrinks, all right? Uh, but they also bring in, they also bring in what to me is the rest of my life, and that is the AA program. Now, how do they do that? They don't go on a blackboard and say, hey, here's AA and here's how it works, you know, because for them to run that on me wouldn't work. Only another drunk could tell a drunk how AA works. And that's where I find a lot of self-satisfaction right now, is that in carrying the word, the first thing you've got to realize is that you're dealing with a lot of ignorance. Okay? And I don't use that, uh, I don't mean anything bad by that. I mean there's just flat ignorance. When you've got a, uh, let's take the social actions program, when you've got a first lieutenant on a base who's just been told, you're a head mother in charge of social actions, and do something about the alcoholism on this base. Well, he's got a problem right off. Okay. His first reaction probably is going to be to look up AA in the phone book if he knows that there is an AA, all right? But if he does, he'll find you, call you up and say, hey, will you come in and tell all these people what AA is all about? And you know, a lot of AAs are not very willing to do that. And I can't, you know, that's understandable. If a fellow doesn't want to stand up in a commander's call, you know, 300 people and say, you know, I'm John, I just happen to be your local doctor, <laughs> and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> it doesn't work too good. But at any rate, where you fit in, and where I think that the AA fits in, is that you can tell this guy, okay, listen, this is, this is the way I see it. Give him the benefit of your experience. Don't turn the guy off. Because if, if someone in Wiesbaden, for example, had turned off AA when this ARC had started, I might not be standing here now. Because when I left the ARC, when I left the Rehabilitation Center, I was dry. I, I knew somewhat about myself and my, what was wrong with me. But I needed something else. I needed follow-on support. And the only place that I saw that I could get that support was in AA. Okay. If nobody ever told me, hey, this is what AA is, and this is what it does, and here, sit down at a meeting and just, you know, listen. If you don't like it, well, that's all right. Leave. If if nobody had ever done that, I might be drunk today. I might be dead today. And I think that's, that's the one thought that I'd like to leave with you, is don't let there be a vacuum of uh, just because you don't react very well with the guy who happens to be in charge of the program. Uh, reach down inside yourself, maybe. And find a way to tell them that you're doing it wrong, fella. Here, let me, just send them over and let me talk to the guy who's got the problem. You know, if that's the way it's got to be handled. All right. But AA is a big place. 
and the armed forces need AA. We need your help. I need your help. Thanks a lot. I feel fairly certain that there's no one in here who doesn't believe that you can get help through ARC. I want to say one thing about Bart because he would be too modest to say it. He showed me his OER, which is the first one he got after he got out of the joint, and he was rated all the way over, recommended for promotion to lieutenant colonel in the top bracket of the next promotion list. So if anybody thinks that just because you're a drunk, they're going to throw you out of the service. You're knocked off the promotion list. That's wrong. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bake. It's been a very exciting meeting uh, for me because uh, the message that uh, I, I heard here is that We've got some different psychologies going and different missions, as the captain said, but they're working together. There's interaction taking place, and the, ser and the interests of both the services and the alcoholic, who's our primary interest in AA, are, are both being served. And the uh, services are getting uh, a better result and more effective use of their people. And we are seeing uh, al alcoholics uh, who are able one day at a time through our program and the help they're getting from their service to uh, be relieved from their suffering from, from their disease. We've got a few uh, minutes left, uh, 15 minutes, and I'd like to throw it open for questions if there are any. Yes, sir. Treatment at Shepherd. Yes. Are you shot treatment at Shepherd? Now the other question was why don't we have more alcoholics in there? Well, I don't know, that's a difficult one to answer. I think that um, 
we have a couple of things here which influence this policy. One is NIAAA, and being a government agency, we take a good bit of, of, um, of our lead from NIAAA, and as you know, they differ somewhat from AA. And, and um, I suppose that's the primary reason, you know, r really. Um, and apart from that, uh, um, we have a good close relationship with AA, and we just don't feel the need to duplicate it. Really. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. Now, <clears throat> here's where we are organized. We have regional hospitals. Oh. Do we send people from Lowry, which is the base here in Denver, to Fitzsimmons? Now, Fitzsimmons is the Army the hospital. Now, we have regional centers. We have a, an alcohol treatment center that serves each geographic region, except that the one at Shepherd, because it is an experimental program, uh, services are worldwide. So I would suppose that the one within this area would perhaps be uh, Travis. That's perhaps the closest one. However, you can send people to an Army hospital or a Navy hospital if the, it's closest to you and this is what you desire and you can work out the arrangements with them. I don't think do you know. Uh, I mean, Niles is at TSO, and they put the uh, program together.
I don't know. Okay. I've, got to, I've got to answer that question. I don't know. Niles may be able the, to answer uh, The staff put together the panel and asked people I knew to be involved. There were three people on, there were three people on the panel, and it just happened that they got the Navy Air Force. And Raleigh, who we've known for 20 years, but, uh, you know, there was no turn down by anybody. I'm the Air Force, Standing up. Yep.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our victory and bread, and give us this day our treasure, as we give our own credit and blessing of us. Lead us in our temptation, 